Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to take a look at Netflix's Extraction, the new action film starring Chris Hemsworth. It was number one trending on Netflix the past week because it's new and there's no other new movies come out except for HBO's Bad Education, which we also watched, a movie starring Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney as two uh, shifty teachers in a very lovely Long Island public school system in the early 2000s. Two really interesting films about tension and stress that express it in very different ways and i'm excited to get into it but before we do that andy we've been off for a couple weeks how are you doing your beard is growing in great <laughs> i'm surviving i've been eating way too much uh watched a ton of movies over the last uh week actually um caught up on things like i watched the rewatched the matrix trilogy um <clears throat> watched inception watched just a ton of stuff Really? Okay, I didn't actually know about that. I should probably grill you on how how the Matrix trilogy ages after... uh, Well, what's interesting is I haven't seen the third one literally since I saw it in theaters. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's... Yeah, it's interesting to come back to it. I, I, I see where some things where that they definitely went wrong or some kind of questionable choices. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what, what happens with this fourth movie, though. Rock on. Well, I'm going to have to grill you about that afterwards. Meanwhile, uh, I've, I've decided to start shaving my face because when this whole thing started, I thought, I'll start growing a beard, Corona beard. It'll be great. And after a while, I was like, this is too long. I didn't expect this to happen. Uh, so I've been trimming and I might just do away with the whole thing before it all blows over. But man, we are in what, week six of... Uh... I've lost tra- Time has no meaning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, big time. We're actually recording on Wednesday because yesterday was Tuesday and we were a mess. But regardless, normally new episodes come out on Tuesday. We're getting back on that track. Big things happening with the show and we're excited to tell you about it. Before we get to all of that, we need to talk about the news, of course. That is the first thing we do on every episode starting this week. Uh, streaming services have been thriving in this pandemic of course they have because people are at home and they can't go to movie theaters movie theaters are closed anyway and even if they weren't closed there's nothing to watch because there's nothing new coming out so we've got stories about what's been going on in the streaming world and our first big one netflix adds nearly 16 million subscribers amid virus shutdown when everybody is taking that $1,200 trump check (laughs) and cashing it in on netflix uh what do you know about this andy well, since everyone's been trapped inside and no, nothing you can go see, nothing you can do, uh, people have, you know, renewed or or new subscribers had have uh, gotten Netflix. You know, something that's kind of surprised me about this is that Netflix seems to be doing particularly well in the middle of all of this. There's so many streaming services now, right? Why is Netflix kind of the front runner? And they're not. They're all growing. But I think Netflix has something the other ones don't, which is brand awareness. People know what Netflix is. A lot of people don't know what HBO Go is or or Amazon Prime Video, especially the older folks, right, that don't listen to podcasts. But Netflix, everybody knows what that is because that was around when Blockbuster was around. And I think that's <laughs> probably a big reason Netflix has seen such a boon. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, like you said, brand recognition. And I think just you get a lot of bang for your buck. Just the sheer quantity of Netflix is one of the things it's known for. Because some of the things like Amazon Prime definitely have a smaller library. Yeah, and I think a lot of streaming services that had kind of come out before all this are starting to lose their luster a little bit. Disney Plus, right, is starting to see a definite plateau with their subscribers. Apple TV or Apple Plus, excuse me. Apple TV Plus? Yeah, right. Uh, nobody's really jumping onto that. I think people are bailing out of that. 
And Netflix has the memes. They've got Tiger King, which happened to come <laughs> out at the perfect time for all of this. Yeah, they de- they definitely were able to capitalize on a, a couple of shows that everyone has just jumped on and watched. Tiger King uh, being one of them, I watched it. It's just insanity, and it's it's great internet fodder. There, like you said, there's great memes. Uh, they were lucky that they had just the right content that people needed to or could sit down and binge. Yeah, and it's it's working like gangbusters for them. Hopefully, it holds up because right now they're they're doing very well. I think compared to well, I want to say they have growth growth all the time. They've constantly been growing, but this in particular has been a really big you know uh, uh, help for them. Uh, meanwhile, Warner Media is set to launch. Uh, HBO Max in late May, which is kind of what HBO is now, but also a bunch of new content. Warner Brothers, if you don't know, uh, owns HBO and they own a whole host of movies and television shows and TV channels. And they're looking to kind of roll all of that into one premiere service. HBO Now and HBO Go, as you know them, will be becoming HBO Max and that will happen May 27th. We finally have a date. Yes, this is finally coming out uh, in about a month's time, and we'll add, and I mean, HBO has already been there for the streaming wars, but um, here they are kind of um, just upgrading what they already have. They're known for their premium content, but now they're expanding uh, their catalog, and they're getting things like uh, the all the DC films, uh, Crunchyroll, um, a number of, I think, Friends, uh, and some other ones. Again, it's a, a fight for licenses, but they're coming in with a lot of strong content. Yeah, uh, definitely. On top of what HBO already has, shows like The Sopranos, The Wire, and Game of Thrones, and incredible uh, films they already have on offer, they're going to be getting shows like Friends and The Big Bang Theory, and not just like a couple seasons, like every episode ever made. They're going to be getting movies like Citizen Kane, and Joker, and Casablanca, and The Wizard of Oz, and they're also getting new original content that's not already produced at HBO. This seems like a big move. This seems like this is really going to bolster what HBO is as a service, and I think it's definitely going to help escalate them above where things like Hulu are now, which is a surprise because Hulu is owned by Disney, of course. Yes, and also, you know, there's spaces for different kinds of streaming. Like, Disney is the family-friendly market, um, and, you know, the big properties like Marvel and and Star Wars, uh, that's one of the things they can do. HBO is known for kind of premium content better writing better stories uh just a little bit edgier more adult um and so they they're gonna be able to expand that library and hopefully bring a lot of new shows into that yeah and it looks like they're also gonna be making some moves to get more uh kids programming involved they already have sesame street but they're gonna be start working workshopping like Late night entry. There's this thing on here called the Not Too Late Show with Elmo, which is kind of exciting, I guess, if your kids are looking for something new. Um, but they're definitely trying to cater to a more broad audience while also making sure they keep a lock on that adult market. I, and I wonder if something like Disney Plus is the reason you do that, right? Because they know kids are going to start being drawn towards other platforms. And maybe that's maybe that's the angle to have, right? Put your, put your flag in the sand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think absolutely... Uh like I said, there's different audiences to, to cater to, and HBO has a more mature, more adult um, content, and I think that's where they're going to really thrive. Yes. Uh, and lastly, as far as streaming services go, uh, Amazon Prime, right? The thing everybody has, not everybody watches movies on, uh, has has premiered their South by Southwest film collection. For anybody who missed that, well, hold on. I've been talking a lot. Andy, for anybody who missed it, what is South by Southwest and why is it on Amazon? 
So South by Southwest is a big uh, film and music festival that happens in Austin, Texas every year. It, along with many other uh, events around the the country, uh, were canceled. And they didn't know what to do. And so they came up with Amazon offered to... um, to stream the films online as part of the the, fist, the film festival. Mm-hmm. Yes, sorry, I was taking a drink. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> and uh, yes, uh, and and oh god, I totally lost where I was. Uh, yes, they're streaming movies uh, for the South by South by Film Festival. And what's been interesting about this is the reception. Uh, it seems like fans of South by are excited about this because they get to watch content that they like and and see their films that they want to see uh, while not having to go out and spend a bunch and definitely. Uh, worry about their health in the middle of this coronavirus stuff. Uh, meanwhile, filmmakers are a little bit more wary. I think a lot of them are really hoping to land big distribution deals, and it looks like if they jump on with Amazon, their films will just be on the internet for 10 days, and it's going to be a lot harder to sell to Netflix when you already had your, your movie on Amazon. But regardless, there's been some cool features on here, and, and I'm really surprised that this is... I mean, it just launched today, right? April... No, two days ago, excuse me, the 27th, and, and I'm surprised to see that people have uh, kind of talking about it a little bit. These movies are getting some buzz. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think... I, it, it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, uh, everyone might see your movie and then it, maybe not buy it. On this, on the other hand, maybe more people will see it than than would have seen it otherwise. And maybe you will catch the eye of someone like a, a studio executive that says, "I want to buy that." Um, so who knows? I, th- I think it's a great opportunity for smaller filmmakers uh, to get their their films out there and in front of an audience. Uh, but a lot of the big players are absent, uh, such as A twenty four. Yeah, and and that's definitely telling, uh, especially not having A24 in there, because looking at the list of films that are available, um, most of them, in fact, all of them, I'd say, you, you probably wouldn't know because they're new films and you haven't heard of them yet. Most of them are shorts. There's definitely a few documentaries in here. Um, but yeah, you're right. What's most interesting is the lack of mainstream releases here. You're not seeing anything from big studios. It's all a lot of it's foreign, a lot of it's small. But I'm still excited to watch them. And I think due to the kind of vacuum of new films coming out right now, uh, we're definitely going to watch a couple for next week, and we'll talk about those at the end of the show. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, but before I move on to our first film, I totally forgot to talk about this in the open, like we said we'd do before the show. <laughs> Andy, you've been talking to people on on real radio, not the stupid podcast stuff. Uh, <laughs> what is that about? Yeah, that's right. So I've been uh, asked to do uh, a few radio inter- interviews um, covering uh, <laughs> bold cinema itself. Um, I did an interview yesterday, uh, which was about Trolls World Tour and all the money it had made. And then we have, uh, I did a couple of interviews today on um, CWBBM radio in Chicago. And this was about uh, what we're going to talk about on our Death of Cinema, this kind of feud that's erupted between AMC Theaters and Universal Studios. Yeah, and, and and we have a bit of that, right? Your first interview that I want to play. We're doing this over Skype, so I don't have a way to play it so both of us can hear it and kind of talk about it. So we're just going to kind of stick it in here, and, and you hear it. It's like three minutes, uh, and it's actually pretty informative, so here that is now. The South by Southwest Film Festival goes virtual on Amazon Prime. Starting today, we're joined by Andy Draper, co-host of the Offscript Film Review. It's a podcast, and he's with us on the KRLD Newsline. First of all, uh, tell us about the South by Southwest Film Festival. What is it normally all about? You know, it's part of a handful of film festivals that people get excited about, where we see a bunch of new films, where you generate buzz, where filmmakers hope to 
get their their material in front of potential financers and you know get it sold and get it seen without being able to do that in person and not only south by southwest but i'm sure this will end up affecting a lot of different popular festivals you know how challenging is it going to be for these producers these directors to get their their films out there and get more galvanization behind them well for some film directors it makes a lot of sense for smaller films things like shorts or documentaries they're actually it's going to be easier for them but a lot of the the big name studios like a24 have have pulled their films from from the festival a lot of the the bigger films just don't want to be a part of it they feel like it hurts their brand that's really interesting well this is for the up-and-comers then yeah i i think this is a prime opportunity for them to get their work seen by as many people as possible. It's hard to get into these festivals. They're expensive. You, you have to travel. It takes time. Now, if you just have an account, you, and you don't even have to have a paid account, um, and you can see the lineup. I think the uh, the situation we're in has created an atmosphere of experimentation, and there's a lot of unknowns, and this online film festival is just another example of that. We don't really know how it's going to do, how many people are going to watch. So we're going to have to kind of wait and see of the reaction and how many pe- people view uh, before we can kind of make decisions to see if maybe this is something that could be done again in the future, even when, when things return to normal or um, kind of things like that. Yeah. Will it be the new normal, as we all keep saying? Will it be a better way uh, to go about things? Uh, what are you hearing from, you know, industry uh, in the know people like yourself? What's the consensus of whether or not this has the potential to overtake in-person film festivals? I think what we're learning is that it's going to be a balance. There are some films and some properties that a virtual release or virtual high-dollar rental make a lot of sense, but there there's other larger things um, like big summer tent poles like James Bond or Star Wars or Avengers that those will never have a, a virtual release. We'll wait till we can see those properly in the, in the theater. The, the latest Trolls one uh, came out and I was like, what? It's $20 to rent this thing for my kids? Uh, that was uh, was kind of shocking for me. That's the high dollar rental you're talking about, right? So what's been the industry reaction to uh, them doing that with the Trolls franchise there? Um, so that was another example of just experimenting and seeing how people react and it was actually really positive. And while $20 is a lot for maybe an individual, it, that's a great, that's a discount for, for a family. And also that that's more money for the studio because they're not having to split it with the, uh, with the theaters. For some films, it makes to- total sense. And on based on the success of Troll Troll Tour, um, the new Scooby-Doo film is also going to be released on high dollar video rental. All right. Well, we'll look for that. Thank you so much. That's Andy Draper. Co-host of the Offscript Film Review and the South by Southwest Film Festival goes virtual on Amazon Prime today. Wow, what an interview, Andy. Golly. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, man, I'm, I'll be in I'm, my trailer. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited for you, one, and I'm excited for the show that you're getting out and you're doing the work and I respect that. And I'm also a little envious because you totally jumped on this opportunity when it came by and I was like, nah, that's not going to happen. And now you're getting calls for all the big interviews. <laughs> and it's for two reasons. One, because now you've been featured on the radio, so you've got experience. And two, I swear the doctor thing sells, man. People are like, doctor Andrew Draper, MD of film or whatever. <laughs> oh, totally, yeah. Yeah. Have they uh, actually addressed you as doctor on these things? Or? Yeah. What, one person did. I, I did have to sort out my title and, and all that. Yeah. Well, mad respect. Thank you for going to bat for the show. You're doing it for the fans and also for me. And I respect that. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Happy to help.
Yeah, keep it up. Uh, and with that, we should probably jump into our first film. We've got a bit more news in case you're thinking maybe there was something we didn't talk about, maybe something particularly pressing uh, about Trolls World Tour. We'll get into that in between our reviews. But for now, we need to jump into our first film of the episode. The movie is Netflix's Extraction. This is an extraction. So who the players? Biggest drug lord in India versus biggest drug lord in Bangladesh. <laughs> Some mythic shit, huh? So Extraction is the story of Tyler Rake, an Australian black market mercenary that's really got no reason to live. And he takes one more mission, just one more to make one more dime and hopefully uh, find a reason to kind of, I don't know, keep living. Uh, and his mission is to go... Uh, Oh, gosh, what am I trying to say here? To save, to rescue, that's the term I was looking for, uh, a young boy in Bangladesh that's been kidnapped and is now being held hostage uh, for ransom by a drug kingpin. He's got to go in under the grid, uh, not without without any help of, you know, the United States Army or anything. Get this boy and get back out. He's got two days to do it. It's, it's, it's a perilous mission. And the movie is extraction uh andy you're the one who originally found a trailer for this movie and and since we watched it i've actually done a lot of research into a lot of i act like i did peer oriented research or anything i didn't i just googled it but i did some looking into how this movie got made and i'm actually excited to talk about it because there's some really cool trivia around it so andy what did you think of extraction so there's a lot of things that work and then there's uh, some things that don't first and foremost it is a big action film and that and that's where it succeeds the most we have huge set pieces we have car chases we have fist fight hand to hand combat we have shootouts we have helicopters we have stuff exploding i mean it, it you know it, you just have everything you have like john wick style fought, fighting jason bourne uh chris hemsworth is kind of uh, <laughs> invincible in, in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. So you you definitely get a lot of that. What you don't get is a whole lot of, you know, kind of character development and plot. This is based on a graphic novel, um, which was adapted by Joe and Anthony Russo of uh, Avengers fame. Uh, so it works on the action front. There's tons and tons of action. Um, but you don't really have an engaging story. There are good performances. Uh, Chris Hemsworth that's as well as both like the the fighting guy and he also has kind of this dark uh past or this this thing that he's kind of dealing with along the way um but it's also just too long <laughs> for, for for what it is it's too long and it and it's funny because I, I was talking about the matrix earlier and that's one of the things i realized about the third matrix film is like there's just too much action and not enough plot the the, the battle for zion is like an, a third of the film and i'm like what why are we why is this so long and that's how i feel about this because it's a solid like two hours and i feel like it, it should be like 90 100 minutes yeah, I, I I feel much of the same way. And, and that being said, I, I do need to underline before we say, it's too long. There's parts that don't work. The action in this movie is real good. It's real tight. There's some real good action stuff. Uh, the movie was directed by Sam Hargrave, uh, who was the stunt coordinator on Avengers Endgame, and also a bunch of Marvel movies, and also a bunch of DC movies, and also a bunch of action movies. This, guy, this guy's IMDb for stunt coordinator reads like a hit list of like the best action films of the past 15 years it's crazy and he has been itching to get into directing and since he was working so well with the russos uh joe and anthony russo on the avengers movies and the marvel movies leading up to this and he told them i really want to get into directing i think they had probably let him direct some action sequences and they said well we need somebody to do 
this graphic novel we're adapting into a screenplay, who are we going to get? And for some reason, they thought, you know what? Let's take a chance on Sam Hargrave. And I think it shows, because a lot of the character development, like you said, the slow stuff, the build-up, most of the first act, it's tough. It's it's slow, and there's not really a whole lot of dialogue or development, but man, the action pops, man, and this guy knows what he's doing when it comes to those scenes, and it works. Um, so we should get into like what what is good and what is bad about it. Um, I, I think the best place to start outside of the director and the screenplay screenwriters who I just got into is probably our plot, right? Because our cast is pretty thin. It's pretty much Chris Hemsworth. That's yeah. pretty much the cast. Yeah, there, there's a few other actors in here uh, from foreign markets who I'm not really familiar with who have done other stuff. Uh, there is one surprise uh, um, um, cameo in here that I don't want to get into. He, he kind of su- surprised me when he showed up. But otherwise, um, Chris Hemsworth is really our guy. Obviously, he's worked with the Russos before, so getting into this makes sense. He'd done some work with Chris with Sam Hargrave, so here we are. Uh, and as far as, well, I guess let's start with performance. Our one performance, Andy. <laughs> hot takes on Chris Hemsworth. What do you think? I mean, he he's good at the action stuff, and you know, and he's good at the emotional stuff. It's just he's not working with a great script on on that half. Um, I mean, he's he's obviously a big buff Australian guy. Uh, he kicks everyone's ass. He shoots everyone. He never misses. He's you know kind of indestructible. Um, but but like you said, the action sequences are fantastic. That's not uh, that's not up, up for question. Uh, there are some other kind of standout performances. Um, and I'm going to struggle with these names, uh, but the Go for it. Do the, it. the 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 person he's trying to extract, uh, Ovi Mahajan, uh, played by played by Rudrashka Jaswal, who's like I, I'll a, take that, yeah, all right, <laughs> who's like a a 14 year old um, son of a of like a drug kingpin. Uh, so they kind of have this, you know, it's essentially an escort mission <laughs> that he that yeah. he's got to do, um, and he he does well also. And there, there's another person that I'm not sure who it is, but th- there's kind of a foil to Chris Hemsworth's character who's... Uh, uh, his name is Randeep Huda. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and he's actually real good too. Yeah. Yeah. He's like the in- Indian version of uh, Chris Hemsworth where where he is also fighting everyone. You know, he's an, he's an awesome combat artist and he like he does all the same stuff in a different character um, and they have a couple of brawls between them. Uh, so it makes for some really good action. Yeah, um, Chris Hemsworth, the thing I like about Chris Hemsworth, uh, besides the six-pack abs, is I think he's really dedicated to his roles, right? You think of something like Ghostbusters 2016, or Ghostbusters Afterlife, I think as as it's called now. Uh, He was in that movie as Kevin, who was comedy relief, and a little bit of the bad guy, you think he gets possessed. And, And like... He, you know, I, I didn't love the script for that movie, but he's not bad. He's not bad. He goes for it. He's he's dedicated to the role. Same thing with Thor, right? Like, he's into it, even when he's wearing the fat suit in Endgame. Like, and in this movie, it's no different. Like, he is very dedicated to this character. He is no-nonsense, not screwing around, not having a laugh, taking it serious. When he cries, it's real tears. Like, he he's into it, and I respect that. And, and, and for what it is, for... for kind of the simple role he ends up playing here because his character isn't all that developed. I think he does a great job. Like, I think he's he's re- he's, he's good in this movie. I, I do think that. Um, I, I think the script is weak, though. Let's, so let's jump into that a little bit. Uh, fundamentally, this movie starts with our, our, our young, technically protagonist, Ovi, uh, who, is, who is the young boy who's kidnapped, uh, b- basically getting kidnapped from his from his hometown, right? And it turns out 
um, his, his, his parents want him back real bad. And rather than there's some circumstances around that, but rather than just pay the ransom, they decide to hire a group of mercenaries to go get him. And, and that's where Chris Hemsworth gets pulled in from Australia. He's got a drinking problem, whatever. I'll just go do this job. I don't care about anything. He's got a, that got a death wish. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That, that's his whole thing. There's a funny line in there about playing Russian roulette that I actually really, really enjoyed. And, and so they end up going over there and, and they go to, uh, I, I think it's Bangladesh. It's a foreign country. And the whole the whole thing is tinted yellow. And we'll talk about that in cinematography. But besides that, the, the first act, the first 25 minutes are are chunky. And, and nothing really happens. And it just kind of is going through the motions of, oh, the kid gets kidnapped. Let's hire our hero. Now he's got to go in. Maybe he'll discover that it's not about the money, that life is worth living. Whatever. That's all fine. <laughs> But then at like minute 26, this movie kicks into an 11 minute appears to be one take action scene that is yep. outstanding and is probably the best action scene I've seen all year. It is so good, dude. Oh my God. I, I was so impressed from, from the first part of the first act to that. Really good stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of, of real technical things that I think are done really well. That's one of them. Uh, there, and there are several really long takes, uh, but the, the initial one is is really, it's really good. And, and it's like, it's so complicated because it's up through buildings. It goes into vehicles, out into the street. Like, it's incredibly complicated. It must have taken so much uh, rehearsal to, to get it. But as good as it is, there's things like that that are just, to me, just simply too long. Like I just like it becomes uninteresting, right? I did part kind of tune out about partway through it because it can't just be eleven straight minutes, right? It does have to slow down. And after a relatively exciting, well, it's a very exciting car chase and shootout, our characters leave their car and they start working their way through buildings, and that's where it starts. Like that tension kind of the tension goes up, but the action comes down, and that's a little bit where it starts to lose you. And also, it's not actually one take; it's one of those like. I forget the term. I was reading about it last night. I think they call it a one-taker. That's like the industry term now for making it look like it's one take, but it isn't really. There are a bunch of cuts in there, and they're lost in it. Like, you lose them in editing when the camera whips around or something. It'll change from cut to cut. And you do start to see those. Because this movie's not on a huge budget or anything. This is a relatively small budget for what this movie's trying to do. So you do start to see the edges of it a little bit and the lines, but even still there's some solid chunks in there that really hold up. And I think overall that action set piece sets, it paves the way for what's going to come through the rest of the movie. It's real solid. It's real tight. There's it, it, it feels like these guys are very tactical. Everybody they shoot, they shoot twice in the head and then they move on. There's not big shootouts. They're very quick. The knife fights are very vicious. There's people getting hit by cars. Like it's, it pops, man. I, I was impressed. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was too. Um, I, I was just thinking about that. There's a part where um, uh, Chris Hemsworth gets hit by cars a lot. <laughs> in this. He, he does. Definitely, yes, he definitely should have broke broke a hip at some point. Um, I there was one really great chasing that sticks out in my mind because the camera kind of goes in and out of the car. You know, go, you the camera is in the car with the the. Uh, Chris Hemsworth and, and Ovi, um, as well as it'll whip out to the enemy or the people that are tracing. And so there's a lot of this, the way the camera is, is kind of swinging in and out of, of the vehicles is really impressive. So that's another example of some really good technical filmmaking. Yeah, and I did a little research on that because I was curious. There was a Twitter video that I had seen and sent Andy, um, I think Netflix put it out about a week before we watched this movie, of director Sam Hargrave 
carrying this camera rig and he ends up walking over to the front of a car and he sits on the hood of the car and the car takes off and he is filming this action scene on the front of the car. It's like something out of crank. It's super like low fidelity guerrilla filmmaking. And I love that kind of stuff. And at the end of it, he gets off the car, he runs over to another car and he slides the camera into in through the back window to another camera person. What they did is they took this camera rig that he had worked with before and they customized it and they cut it down to about half the size it normally is. They just shrunk this thing down and, and really tightened up the parts so they could move around with it a lot. And that's how they did that, which is it was one of those things you come up with when you're a stunt guy and you're like, I want to film this awesome scene and I, I want the motion to keep going and keep moving. And I really respect that over something like... I don't know, the Taken movies or Resident Evil. It's just a bunch of like a million cuts in an action scenes. You can't keep up with what's going on. Instead, there's this feeling of momentum and motion that's really carried through these scenes. And this happens in most of the action scenes, I would say, in this movie. This one is really, I think, the set piece. It's but but I think the others hold up just as well. Like it's it's good stuff. Yeah, they definitely the action is great, no doubt. And that's. It's it's incredible to see an action director or a stunt uh, coordinator uh, behind the helm. But like I said, we we are definitely still missing a lot on the the narrative front. Right. To to jump back into that uh, and not give away the plot because that's not exactly what what we do here. Um, obviously, things start to pop off. Things don't go exactly as planned for our hero, and now he has to extract from the city. That's there's a bunch of people looking for him with the boy and get out alive and they only have so much time. So they're racing against the clock and, and the whole world's against him. In a way you've, you've seen this movie before, you know, if you've seen movies like, I don't know, man on fire or, or any other kidnap the kid and got to find him movie bright did this. Uh, like you, you kind of, you kind of know the, the formula and it does follow those beats. There's, I don't even want to say a little bit interesting as far as the plot goes. Like I, I was kind it's of very, bored. It's like very, through, it's very paint by number. Yes, through parts of this, and 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 that's disappointing. Do you felt the same way? Yeah, absolutely. Like like I said, they try to give um, him this tragic backstory about the loss of a child in this, and it's, um, it's just it doesn't make sense with him talking about like this loss, and then he just like he wants to die, but then he's like killing so many people <laughs> in this and you know he and this is in the trailer because they kind of give a lot, away a lot in the trailer but there's he has a chance to escape but he has to leave the kid behind to do it and he won't do it because he's got a code and he's like yeah sure. i gotta I gotta yeah. i gotta get this kid out alive and it's like but you're killing like a mountain of people to do it oh my but. god yeah and and most of them as far as i know are just like I mean, I'm sure they're bad people in the movie, Faceless but he, he kills like he kills like 120 people in this movie. Like it's a lot, and and like I said, it's always brutal. It's never it's never like mindless shooting. It's always very calculated shooting. Like I know I'm shooting this person in the face, you know, or oh, a guy gets up to me and I knife him in the throat. Like good god, you know, it's 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 a lot, and. The action, for, for every part of this movie where the action works flawlessly, there is an equal and opposite part where the plot just does not entertain at all. And that's really disappointing because that's that's ultimately the crux of what could have kept this movie from being great. Yeah, the, the action still needs to serve the story. It still needs to serve the plot. And sometimes that's not always true. Sometimes an action movie will come along and it's just so incredible and so new and so different that it doesn't matter how, how minimal the, the plot is. Um but unfortunately, because of, of movies like John Wick, which this has been uh, compared to a lot, we've seen it all before. 
So, mm-hmm. you, so you're not doing it. If, if this had come out 10 years ago, it would be like, wow, that's, we've never seen anything like it. Um, but we have now. Yeah. Also worth mentioning, I think John Wick was credited by a stunt. It uh, was directed by a stunt guy. If mm-hmm. I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it definitely was. A guy who did stunts on Matrix Reloaded. Wow, small world. Uh, I'm just looking at him on right now. Uh, Chad Stahelski. But besides that, besides John Wick, um, I, I think the things that really hold this movie back are definitely it's it's kind of script and plot, which is a surprise coming from the Russo brothers. But I, I think they're working with what they had. And, and it seemed like a passion project for them. It seems like something they wanted to get made there. First time director, Sam Hargrave, definitely doesn't quite have his finger on what moves that stuff forward, but his action is real solid. The budget, I think, hurts it. Uh, it could have done with a little bit more. And and the cinematography, while, again, the action stuff is great, the slow stuff is just real boring. And it's, re- it's, real, ye- it's real yellow. God, every every place they're at is yeah. tinted so yellow because it's, it, it's, a, it's a foreign country, and that's, that's what foreign countries look like. It reminds me of, like... Sicario, right? Yep. Like the mm-hmm. D- Denis Villeneuve flick, but that was like really stylistic, I think, and that was really to draw the difference between America and and Mexico visually on screen. This doesn't really do that. It's kind of just yellow all the time. So yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not quite as thematically effective, um, and that's that's a bit of a bummer, I guess. Anyway, uh, Andy, any other thoughts on this one? I think I'm ready for recommendations. Yeah, I think I am too. I, I don't think there's anything particularly outstanding in the music when you talk about. I did enjoy the performances, but uh, anyway. A- Andy, would you recommend Extraction? Um, yes and no. I mean, it is on streaming. It's on if you have Netflix. So if you're looking to fill a couple of hours and you already subscribe, uh, sure. It's it's definitely good on, on the action front. It is incredibly violent, uh, just so everyone's aware. Um, but it's... Really, it's too long, and I lost interest at several points and had a hard time not wanting to just be on my phone. Yeah, I I, I did the same thing. I'll be honest, a bit of the research I did in this while was was, <laughs> it was while, while it was, was on because yeah. I was curious because yeah, like you get through some amazing action scene, you want to see more, and it's like, well, who did that? What was that about? And and that's how I end up doing a movie podcast. No, I, I'm in the same boat. I, I think if you're a big action fan or you need something to watch, like. When the, when when uh, the 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 more light-hearted folks in your household aren't around, there we go. That's that feels like a good way to say that. Then yeah, sure. Like if you if you're a big big gruff dude who can't get enough macho man stuff, you'll probably think it's cool. But like the performances are good, the action's solid. Otherwise, there's not a whole lot there. And I do think it's probably worth watching at least that action set piece. But that'll be on YouTube in like a month and you can just go watch the 11 minutes like you don't have to watch the whole thing but even still i i did enjoy it uh just not as much as i should have i want to see what sam hargrave's doing more and i think that's extraction i think it's i think i think we're done that's the review that's the movie all right (laughs) and with that we should move on to our next segment andy you want to take this one i can do it if you're not feeling oh i'm ready (laughs) oh do it please take it away it's time for the death of cinema Okay, so yesterday when I was uh, doing that radio interview, they were talking about Trolls World Tour and then how it had made nearly $100 million in in just three weeks, which it had, it took its predecessor almost five months to make that, that much money. So it's, it's a huge amount of money. And then by the end of the day, 
um, a feud had erupted between uh, AMC theaters and and the studios. And what had happened is that uh, one of the Universal execs had said, you know, based on the success of this moving forward, when theaters reopen, we'll, we will be releasing films both on uh, in theaters and premium video on demand. And AMC was not having it. <laughs> um, so AMC responded and said, we will, we will not be showing any Universal films and actually later today, Regal Entertainment also jumped on that and saying we will not be because they were not consulted about the release window and these changes. And so that's what we're going to talk about is kind of this feud that's happening and the surprising success of uh, Trolls World Tour. Man, uh, this has been a- an awfully strange time to not be at the movies because like we were talking about before the show, there's been so much movie news and this is got to be kind of the big story. You're absolutely right. Uh, AMC, the biggest theater owner in the world, the biggest theater chain in the world with over a thousand theaters, has fired off a public letter to the Universal Studios chairman Donna Langley in response to NBC Universal CEO's statements regarding Trolls World Tour saying, we are not going to run your movies in our theaters anymore. All of them. Any movies, any theater, we're not doing it. That is wild, especially because (laughs) theaters are closed right now and no more new movies are coming out. And it's nuts. Like, we've never seen... I I can't remember the last time we've seen something as incendiary as this from movie theaters. Because Universal makes a lot of movies, man. And this is a big deal to say we are not going to run your movies, period. Your movies will not run at AMC theaters if you think you're going to make a dime on video on demand. So, like you said at the top, the reason Universal is excited about this is because in three weeks, they made more money than they made in five months with these movies at the movie theater, right? Why why is AMC so scared? Well, because obviously, if you're releasing uh, films at home, then you're not going to the theater, most likely. You know, they've had this same argument with Netflix, because Netflix tried to do uh, dual releases at home and in in theaters, and no one uh, would go for it. They eventually kind of found a balance of, you know, doing two two or three weeks or maybe even a month, like with the Irishman in theaters, and very few. I don't I don't even think it was any of the major chains. And then going to, to streaming. So, I mean, it's it affects their bottom line. But the, at the end of the day... The theaters are essentially the middleman, and if you can deliver your content directly to the customer, uh, the theaters don't really have a lot of leverage, I don't think. Yeah, this reminds me of Blockbuster and Hollywood Video and every other rental service. It was like defending renting home movies when Netflix came into town. It was like, if I can take my movie and I can put it straight in people's homes, what do I need you to deliver it for? You know, it doesn't make any sense. And this is the same problem. Why expect people to get up off their couch, get in the car, drive to the movie theater, pay the price of admission, pay the absurd price on concessions, and sit in a smelly old theater and probably get COVID-19 <laughs> okay. for, for when, when they could stay home Jesus. and not do that and just watch it at home? Now, obviously, we talked about this a little bit before, watching movies at home is more expensive. Trolls World Tour is going for $19.99 right now. Uh, Amazon Prime Cinema Video is running new movies at about $20 a pop. So your mileage is going to vary based on your movie, your audience. But for the most part, if you got a house with more than like three people in it, you are getting this at a steal. Honestly, with two people, I'd say you're getting it at a steal yeah. for 20 bucks. At, I mean, come on. You can't, you can't get better ticket prices than that, especially during like prime shows. Not only that, it's the convenience of not having to go anywhere. And it's important to also remember that 
when they release online, the, the the studio actually gets to keep a lot more of the money. They get to keep 80% as opposed to only about 50% that they have to usually split with the theater. So that's the other reason it's more profitable is they, they get to keep more of it. Yeah, and, and you need to be able to grab that attention, right? You need to be able to grab people at home because that's where people are. They don't want to get up and go do things. We live in the age of smartphones. Are you kidding? <laughs> like nowadays on social media, if it takes longer than eight seconds to grab somebody's attention, they already scrolled by you. Like you, you have to get people at home where they're at. That's where entertainment's happening. And theaters are terrified about this. And they've been scared for a while. There have been talks about this in the past about releasing theaters releasing movies on VOD directly and theaters have have come together and essentially committed a strike against uh, committed a strike that's not you had a strike yeah performed a strike you know what I'm trying to say went on strike (laughs) right they all came together and said we're not going to run your movies Universal or Warner Brothers or, or Paramount or whatever studio if you do this to us and because they would lose such a big chunk of the market share because even though they have to pay out to theaters Distributors do need to make money at the movies. They haven't done it. But now, because theaters are closed, they have no ground to stand on. Yeah, the, that- the other thing to remember is is the... Um is the release window is a lot of what we're fight, uh, essentially fighting about. Because right now, it's a standard 60 to 90 days, closer to 90, I think. And uh, they're talking about essentially eliminating that window and... Yeah, the theaters are, are having a real problem with that. But it, you know, they they can they have to band together. But you know, it, if they don't, if um, if Cinemark says, you know what, you guys want to fight with Universal, that's fine. Yeah, I will ha- be happy to host Universal films. Like it, it just takes one chain doing that, and it all collapses. Right, and it's worth mentioning here, and the story you found before we got started that. Cineworld, which is another big theater chain in Europe, right? Because we don't have a lot of those here. They own uh, Regal. They own Regal. Okay, so Regal is the third largest movie chain. Cinemark is number two. It hasn't commented on this. Uh, Cineworld, which owns Regal, is saying they're basically going to be doing the same thing. If you are trying to take advantage of us from dump stuff on VOD at the same time... um, Right? Am I reading this correctly, right? That's, That's what they're saying? Yes. Good Lord, I'm doing news on a podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's fundamentally what's like what's going on here. So even they are jumping on this on AMC's bandwagon saying, hey, we're not going to run your movies if you're dumping stuff on VOD at the same time. Man, so so first question, Andy, because because you have been interviewed on the radio about this and, you know, you're the expert, uh, Dr. Draper. Um, why why are they scared about them running VOD at the same time? Because that's that's what AMC is saying, right? Yeah. Like why has that got them so shook? Because AMC should be able to still make the money, right? Well, I mean, I think if you do both, you're obviously going to have people that possibly could have were, would have gone to the theater had it not been available at home. But that's, that's assuming a lot Uh, more likely. I think someone that buys a a $20 rental at home is probably someone who wouldn't go see it in theater. Yeah. And, and I think that's telling, right? You're going to lose a chunk of the market share and that's enough Theaters like people not having a choice. It's the reason this hasn't really happened before. It's the reason you had that 90-day window, right, before movies came out on VOD, that you had to go see them in a theater, and that's it. It's That's the reason that exists, because theaters have said, we're not doing it any other way, and that's the way it's going to be. The second question I have is, why is Trolls World Tour getting the heat here, right? Because Disney's, <laughs> doing, Disney's doing this with Artemis Fowl. Warner Brothers is doing this with the new Scoob movie. Why is Universal ca- catching the fire? 
Well, I, it's only because that they want they want to do this, continue to do this going forward. Because everyone right now is is accepting that we're in a, a unique situation with the pandemic. That we okay, we have to stay inside. Theaters are closed, so we're going to do some things we normally wouldn't do. But they're the. Theaters are assuming that everything's going to go back to normal after this, um, which may not be the case. The other thing with those other films, you, you know, Disney is just putting something on Disney Plus. You're not really losing out. You know, this isn't about something going on streaming that would have gone to theater. It's trying to do both at the same time. And, and just, just kind of look at the optics of this. I, I like going to the movies. You like going to the movies, right? I love going to a movie theater. It's great. I get in my seat. I... I probably didn't buy popcorn because I'm trying to cut back, especially after all this. Uh, but, you know, you watch a movie, it's two hours, you, you're at the church of cinema, right? That's what they say. And I love that. But at the same time, like, I do not like people holding my movies hostage. And that's what this feels like. This is this is a whole lot of, I'm not doing this. If you don't do this, here's my ultimatum. This is the way it's going to be. Adam Aaron, the CEO of, of AMC, said at the end of his letter, he said, AMC is willing to sit down with Universal to discuss different window strategies and different economic models between your company and ours. I can't stand that stuff, dude. No. Universal does not know, oh, AMC anything. Universal is the reason AMC is able has been able to get by this far, or at least one of the reasons, right? In the same way I know theaters band together and say, we're not running your movies, in a way, and I know this would hurt theaters all over the world, I kind of wish distributors would do the same and just be like, you know what? We're not running our stuff on your theaters. Done. Yeah. Good luck. You're exactly right. It, who is going to lose out more in that deal? The studios might lose some money. The theaters won't, won't survive. Yeah. You know, I, I made this what <laughs> brilliant analogy on the radio of, you know, it's like Macy's and Sears trying to negotiate with Jeff Bezos at Amazon, you know, <laughs> and... Uh, and trying to argue for the uh, the department store experience is important, and we need to you know keep that to the no like no Amazon is just going to ship directly to you. Yeah, and, and I know like I obviously I don't want theaters to close, but in the wake of of, of this stuff, of this pandemic, theaters are going to close. There's a lot of them that are not going to be able to stay afloat after this. And for people who live in small towns, uh, this fight is not necessarily a good thing because. This could lead to more theater closures. This could lead to big chains going out of business. But at the same time, independent cinema will always be around. There will always be theaters around. Movie theaters are not just going to disappear. I, I, I truly believe that. In the same way that family video, you can still go rent movies at. That's still a small movie rental chain. Like, they will exist. So for those of us who are cinephiles and like going to the movies, there will be options. But this stuff, this bickering, sucks. And I'm not into it. That's what I think. Well, and it's a lot of, uh, you know, saber rattling and, you know, they'll work it out. They'll find a good balance. Um, but it's definitely going to change a lot of things. And again, the theaters simply do not have leverage. Yeah. Their, their only leverage is this is, is we won't run your movies. And, and what's so spooky about this to them is that they just universals realize they may not need AMC. That might be okay. So, I don't know. What do you think, Andy? I'm, I'm over here talking about how I feel. Yeah, you know, I Andy, mean, where are you at on this? The only what things that would hurt are things like really big properties like Marvel, Star Wars, because you do need the big kind of theatrical push, and they do make more money. Um, but again, those are, those are Disney properties. So, I mean... I'm sure someone will... St again, it falls apart as soon as... If Cinemark's like, you know what? You guys can fight all you want. We'll be happy to host 
universals will hold extra extra screenings you know like that's gonna um yeah that that will put them ahead it's they're still gonna gotta compete with other theaters right uh you know smaller theater chains like alamo draft house here in texas can still run those movies like this is not open and shut you know Unless all of them band together and say, and really all of them, I think are the three, the big three, right? And considering AMC and Regal are now saying they're not going to do it, that may be enough to knock this down. But at the same time, like, man, I really wish we could get a legion of supervillains over in the distribute in in the distribution side who would just team up and say, no, we're not doing it. Like, we'd rather dump our stuff and put them in independent theaters than run them in yours. Good luck, you know, because that would knock this down real fast, and that would be better for the consumer, which is ultimately what this is about. Not AMC's profits, but ours. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and that's what I, that's that's the whole thing. And with that, we should move on to our final film of the episode. Andy has graciously agreed to take the summary on this one. I'm excited to talk about it. Andy, please take it away. Bad education. Good morning. I wanted to make a difference. Look, we did. I got us all the way to number four, and I will get us to number one. These are the best early decision numbers that we've ever seen. So this is a new film from HBO uh, starring Hugh Jackman, Ray Romano, and Allison Janney. Um, it, it stars Hugh Jackman as Frank Tassone, who's this beloved educator in the Rosalind School District in uh, Long Island, New York. Uh, he is the teacher's teacher. You know, he's been teaching for decades. He's uh, the superintendent, I believe, in this, so which means he's upper-level administration. Um, and he's the kind of guy, when he's introduced, he, uh, you know, is very sharp, always wears a suit, but he just knows everyone. He knows all the students. When he sees someone, he's like, oh, yeah, you're brother is at this university studying this you know that he's that kind of guy knows all the teachers knows all the parents um and is trying to just do more for the students and get the uh you know the school to be ranked number one in the area and this is kind of how he's in introduced but there is this kind of financial scandal that ends up plaguing uh the school that involves him and also uh alice and janney's character uh who pays plays pam glucken who was the uh like business manager administrator uh person um everything seems to go okay until alice and janney's character is kind of caught uh with her hand in the cookie jar um, using school funds for home projects this eventually leads to a little bit larger um, investigation, which is briefly, very briefly covered up, but only leads to more and more abuse. And eventually the whole thing's kind of blown wide open and then the FBI get, get involved. Um, but I really, really enjoyed this movie, man. It's just, it's written so sharp. The characters are, are very interesting and, they, and they're so duplicitous. And that's one of the themes of the movie, uh, is this duality of Hugh Jackman's character. He's this love loving teacher but he's you know he, he's embezzling money and so it's same thing with alice and janney and same and there's just so much going on and and i don't want to talk too much right now but you hear the difference or you see the difference between how hbo spends their money and what you get and versus what netflix have been like extraction with netflix you pay for spectacle with hbo you're paying for substance 
Yeah, and we should talk about that definitely towards the end. I want to compare these two movies, but before we get to that, um, man, it cannot be understated enough like how big the scandal is running under this film. Because looking at the poster, it's it's Hugh Jackman and Alice and Janie sitting on some bleachers. It's called Bad Education. It's probably like a goofy comedy. No, this is the single largest public school embezzlement scandal in American history ever, and it's a true story. And it's fascinating because you just start to find the layers of what's going on. And it's all running under this incredible performance by Jackman and Alice and Janie um, that just add this tension and this level of, of intrigue and mystery to it. While also genuinely, seemingly trying to do good things for the community, right? These are educators. They are the fourth the fourth highest performing public school district in 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 America, like they want what's best for their kids. And, and, and they, they both do such a good job of holding this movie up. Ray Romano's in it as well. He's fantastic. Uh, there's a couple other supporting characters. Like I, I, man, I love the cast. I love the presentation. Let's talk about this movie. Yeah. So this movie is the epitome of ends justifying the means. Uh, there's a whole lot of that. Oh, it's for the children. It's for the kids. It's for the, uh, for the school rankings. And you know, there's greed and there's greed to go around um, the the school board has a, a lot to do in this movie, and it's headed by Ray Romano's character, who's uh, Bob Spicer. Um, and he's what he's interested in are home values, because he's I, I did some some research. He was actually a real estate agent, and and there's this kind of cycle that like if the school, the better the school district does, the higher it's ranked, the more the real estate, the, the more home prices goes up, which also means taxes go up, which then goes back into the school which is which begins lining the pockets of of course frank tassone and pam gluckin uh so there's this like there's lots of incentive to do the wrong thing to get the rankings where they need to be um because of the amount of money and we're talking millions of dollars right yeah this this is not just uh you know a drop in the hat and it's funny because it kind of starts that way and that's what i think part of why this movie is put together so well is it's framing. It starts as, hey, we found a thing. There's 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 a bit of a problem in the numbers. Something doesn't look right. And then it turns into a bigger thing. And, and, and okay, well, this person's to blame, but otherwise I think we're okay. And it just starts to snowball. And as you start to uncover the plot and what's really going on and who's at fault and who's a victim and who's not a victim... Like, it just gets more and more interesting, and, and it's crazy to think that it all actually happened, and I think it's all really rooted by just a really solid cast, right? Like, we should we should definitely talk about Jackman and, and Romano and Janie and also uh, Geraldine Viswanathan? Uh, mm-hmm. who plays a young reporter in, in the writing for her school paper who just kind of starts to unravel this stuff a little bit. Uh, and she's fantastic. I'm not sure what else I've seen her in. And also she's assisted by her editor uh, at the school, Nick Fleischman, played by Alex Wolf, who is the older older son Heredi- from Hereditary. Yep, yeah, totally. Who I did not expect to see in this movie. I was like, oh, it's the kid from Hereditary. He's great. Uh, Jimmy Tatro is in this movie. I, it, you're right. It's that HBO quality. It's it's really solid casting, really solid acting, really solid budget for a movie that does so much less fundamentally than something like Extraction. Um, really good performances all around. Jackman's fantastic. Yes, I, I definitely wanted to talk about him. So he plays this, his character is so interesting because he's, it, you know, he want, he does want, 
generally, I think, care about the school and wants to do great things for it. Because he, I mean, he just, he goes to every meeting, he goes to every, he's a part of like some parent book club thing that looks like a nightmare. Um, he's playing all the, all the parts. At the same time, he definitely has a taste for the finer things in, in life. He, um, you know, he wears nice suits. He, he has expensive drinks. He, he, he starts to get uh, plastic surgery. Um, it's, the other thing is that he's also incredibly threatening, but in a very diplomatic way. There's several times where he has to have pretty hard conversations with people, kind of reassign people, and he he has uh, there, there's a there's a great part where um, he's reassigning a secretary who's kind of been in on on, on some of the the money scamming, and uh, you know he's just like you know I think we need to reassign you to uh, utilities. You you really look good there, and she really doesn't want to go. And then he he mentions her jewelry he's like oh that that jewelry is that that looks really new is that uh is that from macy's is that from like he and he's definitely like he knows that she's bought that on with school funds and it's he's so threatening but but in such a like benign way yes it's it's so nuanced like and that's only something that comes from somebody who's been doing as long as he has you know on on the other hand there's these fantastic scenes where he is thinking about kids at the school and and Apparently, Frank, Frank Tassone in reality was just like this, so he's playing, Jackman's playing off who this person actually is, but he's incredibly good at remembering who kids are. He remembers, he knows everybody's name. He knows what everybody's doing. He can name somebody's, he can, he can look at this, this young reporter character we have, he can name her brother, is it Northwestern? How's he doing on that science degree? Like, he can remember stuff from his whole career, because back in the day, uh, his character was an English teacher, and he can remember, ah, this kid from 15 years ago, I remember your name. Like, He's got almost a sociopathic memory of, of remembering who people are and what they do and why they're important. And that plays into kind of his motivations for how he ends up where he is because he, he takes it so serious. He takes education and helping people grow and change and become more as such a serious thing to him. And it really does seem like it matters. Yeah, ab- absolutely. But at the same time, there is this underlying greed, and that's part of what the movie's about. It's about this duality of who we are in private and and to the world. Um, a, a smaller plot point is that uh, Frank Tassone is gay, and he's kind of what appears to be in the closet. No one really seems to know, but he he does um, have uh, a couple of of other partners. Um, Man, I really lost my train of thought <laughs> now. But he's he he's really in, incredible. Oh, the, the greed—that's what it was. But he 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 has a couple of great speeches in here, and one of them is that you know he's everyone around him is like making millions of dollars, like you know the real estate guy, and he's you know that school administrators don't make that. You know they're not on that kind of. Uh, you don't sign up to be a teacher to make that kind of money. And so this is, that's kind of how he justifies doing what he does. He's like, well, I'm doing this for the school. I, and I, I deserve like to do, be doing this. Yeah. This and, much and, money. It, and it's framed so well with kind of his, how he's presented in the film, because at first he is, the good guy. He's the best superintendent anybody's ever had. He's he's getting us to number one. We're going to be number one in America next year. It's going to happen. And he's he's figuring out how to fund big projects. He's in book club. He's he's the sweetest guy. He's he's just the best guy ever. And it's funny because that's how we imagine Hugh Jackman to be, right? That's how we all think of Hugh Jackman. And that's why he's cast so well in this because slowly over the course of the film, you find out, you know what? He's a little vain. 
and and he's he's maybe not all that he seems. And as you slowly start to uncover that, his performance starts to stretch just in that way. That's so perfect. And by the end of the movie, you get this, this fantastic climax. That's so just so nuanced, like from start to finish. Man, oh, this movie's good. Yeah, I, I wanted to, to also touch on, uh, well, first off, Allison Janney is incredible, and she's a similar character where she's she's very, you know, pleasant up front, but she's, I mean, she's a tiger uh, underneath, and she is, um, you know, embezzling. I mean, these people had, like, she had several homes in the Hamptons, a home, a vacation home in Florida. I mean, it was just, like, obscene, because they did it for a very long time. Like, it was a decade's worth of, of very slowly uh, bleeding the system. Um, but I wanted to talk about uh, Geraldine Viswanathan, who plays uh, the young school reporter, reporter uh, Rachel Bargava. Yes. And so the, apparently this actually happened is that this actually broke because of a school report on um, Pam Gluckin's firing and then the other papers picked it up. So that part is actually very true. Uh, but she kind of plays the moral compass. Like she she goes to investigate, uh, you know, the, the new Skywalk Bridge they're, they're building uh, for the school. And she starts doing some real reporting, start asking tough questions of like, well, why are we building this if you know we have leaking we have leaks in the roof why aren't we fixing that why are we building and then she starts you know things like looking for receipts and invoices and and she starts calling the companies that are listed on these these invoices and they're like you know picking up and going they're going to nowhere or they're going to private numbers so she starts doing some really good investigative reporting and she is that moral compass of like no it it doesn't like the ends don't justify the means and you know sometimes you know, she's dissuaded a lot because the 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 powers that be catch on that she's kind of sniffing around. She's asking too many questions, and they very strongly tell her that she needs to stop. And and she and she just powers through. You know, she has this very strong sense of justice, which which I think is very important in the movie. Yeah, she's a fantastic foil for Jackman and, and Janie, and, and and her investigation definitely helps bring us as the audience along for the ride. There, there's a fantastic scene when she. Uh, is is in a in an odd place, uh, basically following a lead, and she is just about to walk through a doorway, and she turns and looks and sees another character from the film. It's very surprising, uh, and and just good good tension, and and it works because it's not it's not big action, and it doesn't have to be big big set pieces. It's very simple stuff. Most of it's shot in, in what looks to be a school or on some set that's mocked up like a school. But it's all in the script, and it's in the dialogue, and it's in the pacing, and it's it's so well put together by our our actors and our director and our, our script. And I do want to talk about that for a second. It's, this movie's directed by Corey Finley, who previously did Thoroughbreds, which is... Oh, right. Oh, okay. Yeah, a very early movie for, that we watched on this show, Andy watched, and I actually <laughs> didn't watch, and I need to go back and watch at some point, because I remember hearing that movie was fantastic. Um, Andy, you feel like this echoes some similar themes from that? Definitely uh, some tension or patience? A little, a little bit because, you know, th- that that movie is about, like, some our protagonists living in that gray area, and this definitely is as well. Yeah, uh, it's also written by a man named Mike Mikowski, who formerly wrote a movie called I Think We're Alone Now, starring Peter Dinklage and Elle, Fa- Elle Fanning, I think, maybe Dakota Fanning, but... Um, regardless of that movie, what's interesting about Mike Mikowski, Mike went to this school. 
Oh, that's when, right. That's right. When this happened. Yeah. He was a student when all of this went down. So this is a personal story for him, but he's kind of got a little bit of an insider perspective towards the energy and how things felt. And it sells, man. Like if this school is supposed to be one of the best public schools in the nation, it feels like it. Everybody's happy. It's all smiles. The hallways are clean. Like it's such a, it just seems like such an inviting place. And to find out under the surface, things are not the way they seem. It, it really creates this interesting atmosphere for tension and intrigue um, that draws you in as a viewer. Yeah, in in contrast to something like Extraction, uh, you know, we don't have all this shootouts and car chases, but we have so much tension just because of the reality of these consequences. I mean, th- they know what they're doing is not only wrong, but highly illegal and that if they are caught they will definitely be going to prison and so they're desperately when people start snooping around they're desperately trying to tell lies and and kind of get away from from what's happening it reminded me when we watched uh, american animals uh that were the heist film with the, with those college kids and when they attempt to do the heist and they're all in their stupid costumes in the, in the library just like waiting their hearts are pounding like it's so tense because of the reality of it as opposed right. to the the fantasy of something that what's happening in extraction yeah you're right that that's that's part of the reason like you said before we started these two movies seem to be actually a really cool double feature to do on an episode together because extraction is is all what am i doing? it's it's all foam and no beer you know what i mean it's it's a whole lot of exciting and the exciting stuff's real good but under the surface there's just not a whole lot there it's paint by the numbers it's boring it's 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 simple we know it this though it's the exact opposite it's intriguing and it's bubbly and it's fun and 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 it's just a good time and it's also a half hour shorter than extraction <laughs> which i i made it's not really a mistake i i watched this movie before i watched extraction and i saw this movie was like oh hour hour 35 great 90 98 minutes or whatever it is easy and then i got to watch extraction i was like oh god 2 hours like what are, what are you going to tell me that bad education couldn't do better <laughs> in less time you know what i mean and it again this movie's got a fantastic cast great writing directing solid it's a different movie and i get that but like Man, they're they're just. If I had to recommend one over the other, it'd be bad bad education every time. Absolutely, and it's it's just such good writing, and the, the way the whole story unfolds because you see the, the corruption start happening on a very small scale, and and that's what uh, Frank Tassone said. He was like, you know, one day I I bought a, a Seven Up or something, and and no one asked any questions when I turned in the receipt. So then he just kind of upped it, but. Um, you know, very early on, uh, Jenny Aquila, who is who's the kind of secretary in the office, and I think is related to Allison Janney's character, Pam Glupkin. And that was the thing; these their families were in on this scam. Um, oh yeah, yeah. In in the movie, she very timidly goes to ask about using about buying a PlayStation, and uh, you know, Pam Glupkin says, "Oh, just uh, just put it on on the Rosalind card. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. That's what she." And so, of course. Um, Jenny, Jenny Aquila goes instead of not only buys uh, a PlayStation, buys several thousand dollars worth of jewelry. Um, and it, like, and now looking back, she knew she knew exactly what would happen if she asked uh, about because she doesn't ask to use the the district card. She asked just she asked to borrow money or she asked for her to pay for something, and kind of goes the other way. By the way, I looked up the uh, she stole. Like eight hundred, or she spent had like eight hundred thousand dollars in jewelry. It wasn't the three thousand that is portrayed in the oh, movie. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in the w- movie it's like three grand. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it, and, and that's part of, but again, it was over a very long time that they were slowly, and they, you know, they would do things like they would bill, uh, they had these kind of shell companies and they would bill them for hundreds of thousands of dollars for school projects that, that never happened or no one ever saw or in these companies that didn't exist and they would shuffle money around and it's, yeah, it's really fascinating how how they were able to do this, and of course, a lot of that. This was kind of just as the internet was getting going. This is pre-internet, essentially, or a pre-modern internet, um, and that's one of the ways they were able to get get away with this for so long. Yeah, and I think it's it's distilling all of that 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 very real thing into a ninety-five minute uh, tight script and film. I think is what makes this movie so much more. Morally ambiguous, and, and like, and I say morally ambiguous, like, well, maybe, maybe Hugh Jackman wasn't so bad. No, everybody's bad guy in this movie. I get it, but it 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 makes the argument posed more intriguing than just, hey, I was doing it for the kids. Yeah, sure, you were punk, but in ninety five minutes, th- there's a case to be made because we've just met these characters and already they're being they're being moved around like like pieces on a chessboard, and 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 I. I think this movie does such a great job of presenting what should on paper be a very boring, very boring, uh, a very, very ham-fisted, you know, a bung- bungling of a school system and, and turning it into something that's dramatic and interesting and fun. I really like this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Andy, would you recommend Bad Education? Yeah, absolutely. I've been talking to several people about it. It's just, it's so interesting. It has such great characters and performances. And it's, it's again, it's so nuanced. And it's about this, you know, it's about the, the ends that justify the means, uh, the duality of who we are in private versus public. Uh, this idea of, of justice that kind of... Uh, embodied by Rachel Bargava's character um, who's also dealing with with some um, troubling issues at at home with her with her father's career um, which come come into play it's just it's deep there's themes there's great performances there's there's just so much in this film and I really enjoyed it yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. It's rare. I, I give a movie almost a sweeping recommendation for anybody, but I think almost anybody could enjoy this. Obviously not children, but like I I, I think whenever we watch a movie so often I think to myself, would, would my parents be into this? Would my would my wife be into this? Yes. The answer is everybody. Like, if you're older, if you're younger, I think you will like what's happening in this movie. It is a very smart film. It probably should have come out in theaters at some point because I think it would have held up. But being on HBO, it is incredibly accessible. Don't walk, run to the couch and watch <laughs> uh, uh, Bad Education. It's a really good time. Uh, watch, it on a, uh, watch it on a big TV. Don't watch it on your phone. Come on. Like, let's, let's do this right. And with that, uh, we should probably wrap the show proper. Uh, we took last week off. We will be on for next week. Andy, what are we going to watch? So because the South by Southwest online film festival collection is uh, is available on Amazon Prime for free, you don't even have to have an Amazon Prime account. You just have to have an Amazon account. It doesn't have to be a paid one. Um there's a ton of movies in this film festival. We're going to be looking at two. We're going to be looking at a narrative feature called Le Choc de Futur. Um, that's probably wrong because I don't speak French. Um, I, was, and, I was curious how you were going to do that. But and, yeah. and also a documentary feature called TFW No GF, which stands for That Face When No Girlfriend, uh, <laughs> which is an interesting uh, look at 
I don't really want to. Zach, do you want to touch on that? At I, all? I was going to say I've, I've got a byline for both of these movies. Okay, yes, please, please do, please do. Yes, again, uh, uh, the first movie we're watching is called Le Choc de Futur. Future? I don't know. Uh, in the Paris, this is from Amazon Prime. In the Paris of 1978, old formulas do not charm listeners anymore, and new music must arise. In a male-dominated industry, Anna uses her electronic gadgets to make herself heard, creating a new sound that will mark the decades to come. The music of the future. It is an hour twenty, not even feature length and the documentary feature tfw no gf a generation of disaffected young men searches for meaning in the dark corners of the internet that feel with no gf that face with no gf examines the subculture through the metaphor of an iconic meme that is an hour 23 also not feature length short film films and again they are free to watch you do not need an amazon account you can watch them for nothing so there's no excuse that's right. And, and in addition to those, there's uh, three other uh, narrative features that are part of the collection as well, as well as a slew of short films and a couple of other documentaries. So feel free to check those out as well. The festival does end online May 6th. Yes, uh, this is a 10-day a festival, so odds are we will only watch these. We might watch a couple other things in our free time, maybe talk about them, but these are the two we're going to feature on the show. So do, do us a favor and watch them with us. And if you don't watch them, if you did enjoy the show, one thing you can do for your boys off script is subscribe. You can subscribe to the show. Super easy. You can just jump on your phone and hit that subscribe button. We get new episodes every single Tuesday, unless we record on Wednesday and take a week off. But it's a pandemic. Anything could happen. Uh, rate and review, if you could swing it. That actually helps us a lot. And believe it or not, it helps your other podcasts that you listen to, too. So if you don't do it for us, do it for your other shows. And also do it for us. But seriously, it's good podcast etiquette. Rate and review shows. You can find us online. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're working on some YouTube stuff, but we're on there as well if you want to go see some older reviews. And, of course, we're wherever you can find your podcast. So share the show with your friends. And thanks so much for listening. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay, we're good. We're through the plug bit. Okay, yes. Uh, from all of us at Off Script, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.